This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Overcoming great challenges like COVID-19 requires great cooperation. This is Dan Hilferty, CEO of Independence Blue Cross. Most of us never imagined we'd be facing an outbreak of this magnitude. But in the face of this challenge, hospitals, public officials, and business leaders have come together. Through effective cooperation, these leaders are taking steps to keep us safe. Slowing the rate of infection from the virus will help hospitals care for those who need attention most. Remember, stay home. Leave only for essential needs. Stay informed from sources like the CDC or Department of Health. Take a break from watching the news. Stay well, exercise, and practice self-care to make sure you're physically and mentally fit. In our great region, we have a tradition of caring for each other and cooperating to get things done. We'll do it again now. For more, visit ibx.com COVID-19. Together, we will beat COVID-19. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. A radio.com station. From the Malamud and Associates Law Studios, it's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. That is a very, very robust, vigorous, achu sneeze. That's what that is. And that's not what we're talking about. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. And a wonderful good morning and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. And today we have two exceptional guests to discuss the topic of genetics, that branch of biology that studies genes, the distinct code for every living being. We're going to talk about the goals of testing, whom should be tested and when, and briefly touch on the concept of genetic therapy. Our first guest is Dr. Reed Piritz, the William Smilo Professor of Medicine from the Division of Translational Medicine and Human Genetics at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. Dr. Piritz completed his MD and PhD degrees at Harvard Medical School and focuses his research in two areas, inherited disorders of the cardiovascular system, especially of the aorta, our largest artery, and he studies ethical, legal, and social implications of human genetics. Welcome, Reed. It's great to have you here today. Many thanks, Marion. Pleasure for me. Uh, let's begin with a little background on the history of genetics as a science, and then the pretty rapid progression to it being a field of medicine aimed at improving ways to diagnose and treat inherited medical conditions. So let's go back to the beginning, Reed. Well, the beginning, many people trace to um, an Augustinian monk uh, named Gregor Mendel. Maybe people have, have heard of his name. Uh, he was in the town of uh, Bruno, which is now in the Czech Republic, and he studied inherent inheritance of various traits in pea plants, things like how tall the plants were, whether their seeds were round or elongated, the color of the seeds, and so forth. And he found that um, those traits bred true in whatever um, uh, line of pea plants he was studying. But when he bred, uh, interbred two different lines, he found that, uh, for example, uh, 
P. color was uh, inherited in very strict ways. Uh, and this led to the notion of dominant or recessive inheritance. Uh, and this was an extraordinarily um, important accomplishment, but everybody ignored it. Uh, and it wasn't until 1900 that the notion of genetics was rediscovered and eventually Mendel got credit, but um, it took 35 years before it was recognized. Sure. And, and it wasn't um, uh, very long before some people figured out that there were some human traits that were inherited much the same way, but it really couldn't be understood because the actual mechanism of inheritance uh, hadn't been described yet. And it wasn't uh, until um, really 1953 that the notion that DNA was the substance that carried our hereditary material was um, made clear, and the structure of DNA was uh, elucidated by um, two scientists, Watson and Crick. Um, so DNA is an interesting molecule because it's extraordinarily long, but yet coiled up in, in a very tight way so that each um, cell of our body, other than the sperm or the egg, and I'll come to that in a second, uh, contains uh, 46 pieces of DNA that, if stretched um, arm to arm, would uh, actually be the length of our outstretched arms. And yet all of this DNA is coiled very tightly into the nucleus of each cell. Um, the, the DNA itself is composed of nucleotides that we call A, T, G, and C. And each nucleotide is an individual um, molecule that is linked together to form this long strand of DNA. Now, the DNA itself is coiled uh, and two strands form what's called a double helix, again, a term that uh, is fairly common. Uh, and the uh, double helix allows the DNA to be um, read in a way that um, proteins can be uh, made based on the information in the DNA. Um, so each cell has all of this DNA in it organized into... 23 pairs of chromosomes, and you can actually visualize the chromosomes under the microscope. Um, now, the egg and the sperm contain half that amount of DNA, just 23 chromosomes, not 23 pairs of chromosomes. And that permits the um, offspring, uh, the embryo, and eventually the child, to have uh, two pairs of each chromosome uh, in all of its cells. Um, and so the inheritance for any child comes half from mom and uh, half from dad. Um, the the uh, interesting thing is that of the billion or so cells in our body, each has um, all of this DNA in it that is uh, dividing anytime a cell itself divides to make a, a replica of it, all of that DNA gets replicated. So when one of our cells in the body divides, in genetic terms, it's exactly like 
um, the uh, cell from which it was uh, derived. So for our listeners, the double helix that you're referring to looks like that ladder that we remember studying in high school. And um, to give people a good visual. And it's, as you say, it's in billions of cells. Right. Uh, And to make it even more outstanding, I think, uh, the total amount of DNA in um, uh, our cell is is um, uh, 6.4 billion uh, nucleotides. In other words, the A, T, C, and G um, uh, are 6.4 billion in each cell, uh, 3.2 billion in each egg and sperm. Um, now, of that 6.4 billion nucleotides, only about 2% actually are genes, and each of our cells has approximately 22,000 genes, um, uh, which are encoded in only 2% of all that DNA. So what's the other 98% doing? Uh, Back when I was uh, a student, uh, it was called junk DNA. Today we know it does all sorts of important things, including uh, regulating how uh, genes are uh, sequenced and how they are uh, replicated. So when people hear the vast number of um, components to DNA and chromosomes, the concept that you always like to share is that a change in one of those tiny areas can be completely harmless or um, a few changes can lead to something that can be very harmful. So the transition from that basic science to clinical application and patients and how it manifests um, in living beings, uh, including humans, um, really is miraculous that uh, over a pretty short time, maybe 120 years, that we've learned so much. And I want to hear, I know our listeners really want to hear about your clinical research and um, research focus. So maybe we can start a little bit on the inherited disorders of the cardiovascular system. That's been my focus uh, for uh, 40 years, and I've really looked at the aorta, as you indicated, the largest uh, artery in the body. And there are two major problems that the aorta can develop, an enlargement called an aneurysm or a tear in the wall called a dissection. And back in um, the 1980s, it was thought that there was just one condition that predisposed people to aneurysms and dissections, and we called that the Marfan syndrome. And that's oh, yes. what I focused on. Yeah, I'm um, going to ask, we're going to take a little break, Reed, and then we'll be right back in a moment. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.com. And we're back with Dr. Reed Peretz from the University of Pennsylvania. Reed, I'd love to hear more about your research over the past 20 years. So Marfan syndrome is a condition inherited uh, autosomal dominant, meaning if, uh, if a parent has it, then there's a 50-50 chance each time that parent has a child that the child will inherit the condition. And it wasn't until 1991 that uh, my colleagues and I uh, were able to discover exactly what the gene is that causes Marfan syndrome. And within just a a year or so after that, we introduced the ability to test that gene 
for uh, changes or mutations in it that can cause Marfan syndrome, and that became a diagnostic tool. But interestingly, it was found that there were a great many people with aneurysms or dissections of the aorta who did not have mutations in that gene and therefore did not have Marfan syndrome. And now the whole area has exploded into understanding that there are uh, at least two dozen other genes that when they're mutated, um, that they can cause diseases of the aorta. Um, and knowing what the specific change is in an individual can help predict whether they're going to develop an aneurysm sooner or later, what their risk is of having a dissection, for example. And so it's very important that all of these folks be tested, have their DNA looked at to see if there's a change in one of these genes. So we've gone from looking just at the gene for Marfan syndrome to looking at a panel of genes, a couple dozen, when we have a person with an aortic condition. And now we've gone uh, not just to aortic conditions, but basically all genetic conditions, looking at uh, the portion of our DNA that codes for genes, that 2%, or looking at all 6.4 billion nucleotides to see what's there. And it's amazing how much variation we're seeing among human beings, um, and uh, much of this variation is completely harmless. But some of it, maybe three or four or five instances in any person, can be potentially harmful. And it's how we deal with that information in any individual person that is most uh, challenging and has really been one of the hallmarks of this whole field of what we now call uh, precision medicine. Sure. And I know you mentioned, you, you, like, uh, you often mention the expression VUS or variants of uncertain significance. So as you say, some changes represent a, a harmless change. Others represent uh, a harmful change. But the ones that are um, not exactly defined makes you want to stay in touch with that person in case new information comes along that you want to retest them. Say they're in a family that it manifests in some family members and not others, and you might want to test those people later. So what kind of samples do you take, Reed? I know you can test blood, saliva, unborn baby cells, tumor cells. They're all different directions that you take depending on what you're studying. Yes. I mean, the simplest uh, test is uh, saliva or just a scraping from the inside of the cheek. And that's what we use in the clinic almost always. This has become very routine. You can actually send the kit home with a patient and they can do it themselves. Um, most insurance companies cover it. Uh, so cost is usually not an issue. Um, if you're going to test an unborn fetus, then you do either amniocentesis or chorionic villus sampling, which again uh, is fairly routine and uh, very low risk. Um, then there are those changes, mutations, that occur in, for example, tumor cells. And the changes in the tumor cell are representative of that tumor cell. Some of those changes can be inherited, which is why as some cancers pass down through families, um, breast cancer being uh, an example. And there is a known um, panel of genes that you can look at to see if uh, a man or a woman 
uh, has a change in one of those genes that can lead to breast cancer coming down through the family. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also uh, very useful to look at a cancer cell in and of itself to see what genetic changes there are that wouldn't be present in all of the cells of the patient. And these changes are also useful in determining what kind of therapy, what chemotherapy you, um, uh, drug that you would give to that patient to try to treat their cancer. So you sometimes distinguish, or you'll distinguish an inherited mutation, something that comes with your parent's egg or sperm that affects all of your cells, such as maybe Down syndrome, versus a new mutation that you acquire from environmental exposures or something, and it affects the cells that would lead to a tumor, and you would test the actual tumor for cells. Am I right with those distinctions? That's right. Um, I I will um, emphasize that Down syndrome is usually due to a change that occurs in either the egg or the sperm, usually the egg, that isn't present in in either parent, but but arises uh, anew. Uh, But certainly all of the cancer predisposing genes um, typically are present in one of the parents, which is why it's very important if if you discover one of these genes in your patient that you take a very complete family history and uh, perhaps even go back and and test the parents to see if one of them is at risk for the cancer as well. Sure. So we hear a lot about these DTC or direct-to-consumer kits that um, people are excited about. Maybe they want to find out about their ancestry in their parts of the world, but um, there's other information that can come from them. Um, So I guess patients should ask themselves, what do I hope to learn? What other things would you ask people to think about before they do a sample like that? Exactly. I think that uh, some companies deal uh, strictly with ancestry. Uh, That has its own complications, but uh, not really from the medical perspective. Other companies do deal with uh, genetic changes that can predispose to disease. And uh, if the person who sends their own saliva to these companies without uh, a physician intervening, they can be surprised by the results and even um, terrified by them, to be frank, uh, Mm -hmm. and and really need counseling to understand them. Uh, Again, going back to the uh, breast cancer situation, um, in the two main genes that predispose to breast cancer, BRCA1 and BRCA2, there are literally thousands of different mutations that can predispose to breast cancer, but the companies that deal with uh, direct-to-consumer testing only look at three of those mutations, the three most common, but nonetheless only three. So if you get a result that, wow, I don't have a a mutation in in BRCA1 and 2, then you may be relieved to the point of ignoring the fact that, yes, you really do have a risk and need to have further uh, further testing, particularly sure. if, if your family history is positive. Sure. And then knowing you have a variant can be, as you say, stressful. And But the other uh, notion is that you might have a variant that doesn't always mean you'll get the disease. So you really do need a, a filter. You need a professional to help you go through that information and understand the nuances. So very briefly, we wanted to talk about just the concept of genetic therapy. It's so fascinating to people. We have a minute left. Tell us about that if you would, Reed. Sure. Um, It's possible these days to take a cell 
that is malfunctioning, for example, a tumor cell, and change the mutation that's present in that cell by introducing a normal copy of the gene. Uh, this can't be done for even the majority of situations, and it can be done for conditions that aren't cancer. Uh, and, and there have been some remarkable successes. Uh, but these are in individual cells in the patient that can't be passed on to his or her children. Mm -hmm. One example of trying to actually change a gene in uh, a fetus, in an embryo, uh, was met with huge amount of approbation in the entire uh, medical community. And in fact, the scientist in China who did this and publicized it is actually in jail now for having mm. violated the ethics of uh, medical genetics. Sure. Well, I think the, what's wonderful about when we talk about cancer, you're trying to get that cell to follow a new set of instructions to help the, the, the disease treatment at the genetic level. So you can either make the change in the cells in the body, or some researchers have found that they can genetically alter the cell outside and transfuse it back into the body. Reed, thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to read more on their own, they would visit what website? Well, there's an, a website uh, on the National in Institutes of Health, uh, which um, is, is excellent. Uh, NHGRI is the National Human Genome Research Institute, and uh, so it's NIH, uh, nhgri.gov, G-O-V. Beautiful. Thank you for joining us today, Reed. We learned so much. And if people want to read or look up that website, go to National Institutes of Health. So the website is nhgri.nih.gov. Reed, stay well. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll bring you back when we learn more wonderful things about genetics. Thank you. Thank you, Marianne. It was my pleasure. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Welcome back. And now we have another very special guest, Susan Miller Samuel, who has the Masters of Science in Nursing, and she is a board-certified advanced genetics nurse at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital with a special focus on genetic testing for cancer risk. Basically, my friends, Sue is a treasure of knowledge and experience. I personally have learned so much from her presentations. You are in for a treat. Welcome, Sue. Well, thank you, Marianne. Thank you. <laughs> You're the best. Sue, why might a patient think about having cancer genetic testing? Well, there's a variety of reasons. Um, someone may be newly diagnosed with cancer, and their doctor has encouraged them to get genetic testing for specific treatment decisions, including surgical decisions or targeted medical management. Um, someone else could have been diagnosed with cancer years ago, and they were encouraged to have genetic testing, but they just weren't ready to do it at that time, and now they are. And some people have no personal history of cancer, but they have a strong family history, and they're concerned about that. And so I know I learned a lot from my own family history that a lot has changed. Not so long ago, the only genetic testing for breast cancer was to check for BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes. What has evolved since in recent years? 
Well, and that's, that's a good point, Marianne. Um, the cancer genetics world really is rapidly evolving, and it has rapidly evolved. Um, BRCA genetic testing is still very important, but it's not the only genetic testing that's important. Um, for example, people that were previously tested for hereditary types of breast cancer may only have had genetic testing for BRCA1 and BRCA2, two genes. And if a person was BRCA tested more than 10 to 12 years ago, a person's BRCA genetic testing is most likely not as complete as it could be if it was done today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so other genes have emerged. You said there's a whole list of other genes that you check yeah, for other depending types. On what, yeah, mm-hmm. depending on what the, the cancer family history looks like in the family. Um, there are many other genes that we would likely at least recommend to someone to consider for genetic testing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if you've had, if, if our listeners is someone who's had testing more than several years ago and there's no hereditary clue in you or a family matter, member or any genetic testing, you might consider having a genetic counseling update, yes? Absolutely. And that's a really great point. Um, the best way to do that is to obtain a copy of your genetic test results or your family's genetic test results or both. So the genetics provider knows exactly what genetic testing has already been done. And it's important also because most insurance providers will not necessarily pay for a genetic test for the same genes more than one time. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, the, the most important takeaway that I, I've learned from you is Remember, as with most types of cancers, the vast majority of breast cancer is not hereditary. So if you think your BRAC is negative, don't think that you're in good shape because cancer occurrence usually falls into one of three categories that you'll tell us about. Yeah, that's true as well. And the reality, even though it's counterintuitive, most cancers are what we call sporadic non-hereditary cancers. Um, the word we use most often is multifactorial because there's many different factors involved um, regarding why anyone would develop any type of cancer. But the big risk factor for getting almost any type of cancer is usually getting older. Um, if you think about it, the longer we live and the more environmental hits or exposures that we accumulate over time, that can weaken our genes and immune system. And the majority of cancers in people over the age of 50, they usually don't have any significant personal or family risk factors related to the type of cancer they're seeking counseling for. And there's also guidelines that define who is a good candidate or the best candidate for genetic testing. And um, genetic testing is not, at this time at least, typically looked at as a screening test for the average person. Right. And I think that's really important for our listeners. If you have a cancer, not everyone is uh, should be tested um, because it's, as you say, 70 to 80 percent of cases just appear because of environmental exposure. And then how about hereditary cancer syndrome? So so hereditary cancer syndromes where, again, a true hereditary type of cancer risk that may be passed through the family by either parent, only approximately 5 to 10% of most cancers fall into a true hereditary cancer link. And that typically involves inheriting um, a single copy of a gene from either parent that may have a typographical error 
in its genetic code that we call a mutation. And again, that can be passed by either parent to a child right at the split second that child is conceived. Mm-hmm. And then there's that category of familial cancers. It's kind of frustrating. I mean, that's um, in my own family, and, and you were very helpful with me. For my listeners, our listeners, I had identical twin sisters diagnosed with breast cancer within days of each other. And you would think they are a genetic match, mirror twins. None of the next gen or any of the extensive list of breast cancers were positive, the genetic testing. My mom had breast also. And so that's something where you'd say, okay, we don't have... X marks the spot. We don't have a specific mutation, but we know the family history is strong. So we're going to manage you, Marianne, and your sister um, the same way as if we did. You're a high-risk family based on how it has manifested in, in your family members, not because of a genetic test on paper. Yes? Just because your genetic test might be negative, um, number one, it doesn't absolutely mean that there's nothing there. It may just mean that we didn't find anything based on what we know at this time. And your family history speaks to us more clearly than a negative genetic test result does. Exactly. So it means you don't necessarily get a pass. So other reasons why people might get tested, maybe they're curious because genetic testing seems to be everywhere. My friends have done it. Your hairdresser does it. You know, it brings us to the topic of Uh, direct-to-consumer genetic testing. We see ads on TV, in magazines, flyers in stores. And, you know, sometimes people give it to their family members as a holiday or birthday gift. Tell us, Sue, what are some of the key questions that um, our listeners, their friends, community should ponder before they consider these at-home genetic tests? Well, and that's a great question as well. And, you know, it's important for people to really think about what they're hoping to accomplish by having this type of testing done. And for all the good that hereditary cancer genetic testing can do, and in some circumstances, it's not overstating the fact that it really could be life-saving if we can figure out the root cause of a hereditary cancer syndrome. People still need to be clear in their own minds about why they want this information and what they think they would do if a positive result turns up. Mm-hmm. So you're going you're gonna to ask yourself as the, the patient here, why are you thinking of getting the genetic testing? Clarify your purpose in your words. So because if it might be to learn about your ancestry, that's kind of a fun thing um, sometimes or disease risk, cancer risk, maybe drug metabolism. Tell us about that. Yeah, those kind of drift into different categories, again, depending on which genetic test you're thinking about having done. Um, And you need to think about, you know, what policies does this specific genetic testing company have in place to protect your personal and confidential information? Um, Will your information be sold to other industries? Is it automatically shared with potential long-lost family members? Are you okay with that? Um, So it's important for you to do some homework and find out what the privacy policies and selling policies are of the genetic testing company mm-hmm. um, to determine how comfortable you are with all of that. And even if you're just looking for your ancestry, I know once in a while I've had patients tell me that they find out that that brother isn't really their brother, <laughs> or they may have had a different parent. And um, so be prepared because not everything you learn is going to make you happy. And I, I think that's something people don't consider in advance. The other thing is, um, when you send your sample away, um, it's not this magic 
box that, that um, shoots out the information, they're not always comprehensive. And this is not a negative about the test. It's what you're saying. Check and see what it involves. They're not always comprehensive. And it may miss genes that are relevant to your health. Any comments on that? Exactly. And that's exactly true. So really, um, you know, a person really has to do their homework before they get a specimen for genetic testing for that reason. And then, you know, each person makes a decision that's right for them. Exactly. And, and sometimes, you know, what we really don't want to happen to somebody is that somebody can end up with a positive, a positive cancer genetic test by accident. Mm-hmm. And the consumer genetic testing and not even realize that, you know, they may be tested for certain cancer-related genes. Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, let's take a little break, Sue, and we'll be back in a moment. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. Dr. Marianne will return, but first, a medical message from one of our partners. And we're back for our final segment with Sue Miller-Samuel from Jefferson University. So, Sue, again, it's important to emphasize before you send off a specimen, on your own, what policy does that genetic company have uh, in place to protect your personal and confidential information? Where does it go? Is it sold to other industries? Um, it's important to really read the consent form and the release forms. And you'd like to tell our listeners about the GINA or the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. Well, just at least to mention a couple of words about this. Um, there is a federal, um, federal legislation that's called the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. And the acronym for that is GINA, just like the girl's name. And you can Google that and, um, you know, get some more information on your own. And the GINA legislation, this is federal legislation that gives some protection to people that may have a positive genetic test result. Mm-hmm. But there are, uh, there are exceptions with this law. And people just need to be aware that, you know, it's not 100% that you, if you have a positive test result, you know, you need to understand these laws. So, and to make sure before your genetic testing, or you have genetic testing, that you have certain insurance policies in place, like life insurance, disability insurance, long-term care insurance, because the GINA laws do not apply those types of insurance. In other words, if somebody ends up having a positive test, it could cause problems with your life, long-term care or disability plans, life insurance. And so you need to have them in place before you open Pandora's box, is what you're saying. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's that's how we counsel people, you know, Mm -hmm. just to be aware and make sure your insurance situation is really locked down where you need it to be before you send the specimen in for genetic testing. So, Sue, it's so important to consider seeing a qualified, board-certified genetic specialist who can help a patient really think about why they're having genetic testing. And if you happen to have genetic testing, have it really examined for nuances and explained well by a professional like you. Yeah, it's important to be able to have someone that's going to be able not only to help you um, select the right genetic testing that's right for you, but also to interpret that test result. Mm -hmm. And if people want to read more about it, Sue, what's a good website to visit? 
A good website is the National Society of Genetic Counselors, and on the web, it's nnsgc.org. And there is also a search tool on that website, the National Society of Genetic Counselors, where people can um, type in their zip code and location and search for a qualified genetics professional in their area. That's great to know. So the National Society of Genetics Counselors, nsgc.org. And I hope people find Susan Miller-Samuel from Jefferson University Hospital. Sue, thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise. I learned, as always, so much from you. And um, for our listeners, nsgc.org. Sue, thank you. Stay well. And thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. For this week, your real champion is Khalid Mortegi. I call this segment Solid as a Rock. One of my favorite ways to spend a Saturday morning is breakfast at a great diner with my husband or the kids or a good friend. You can chat over a second cup of coffee and everything on the menu is comfort food. Today's champion is exactly about that, bringing comfort to people by sharing food. In the center of Conshohocken is a large welcoming sign that draws guests to Andy's Diner and Pub, a gathering place enjoyed by the community since 2008. COVID came and owner Khalid Mortegi had to close his diner. That first week, his Monday deliveries came and he gave all the food to his employees so they'd have food in their homes. No one has been spared the challenges brought on by COVID, loss of loved ones, jobs, homes, on April 17, he decided to help local school children by providing free breakfast between 9 a.m. and 2 p.m. But as he prepared over 5,000 pancakes and 5,000 pieces of French toast, he realized he had enough to invite the whole town. And that he did. His regular staff was there to hand out pancakes along with sausage, bacon, yogurts, and juice. Well, a month later, he bench-pressed even more weight. He gave away 6,000 dinners of chicken parm, pasta, yogurts, and juice. I asked how the diner got its name. Khalid told me that he was born in Egypt, and when he became a U.S. citizen, he took the name Andrew Stone and named the diner Andy's. What moved him to feed his neighbors? He said, we have to do what we have to do. We can't live by ourselves. We can't rely on others. Each person has to start with himself. He added, we live in America, and if we believe in our country, we have to be strong, do our duty, and not be selfish, or we lose our dignity. America gives us a lot and is still giving. We have to stand up and give to each other. When there are hungry people around you, you can't enjoy what you have without sharing. You have to see the whole picture. During the COVID lockdown, Andy's was entirely renovated. The tables are safely separated inside, and there are beautiful tables with umbrellas spaced well outside. As our conversation ended, I said, if there were more Andrew Stones coming together, the world would be a happier, more peaceful place. I drove home thinking about his message and the name he took when he became a citizen, Andrew Stone. Maybe he's just one stone that's a piece of a bigger rock, the rock that forms the foundation of his community a man who really cares about helping other people and believes in the American dream. So whether we call him Khalid Mortegi or Andrew Stone, we salute and congratulate the owner of Andy's Diner and Pub in Conchi. 
your real champion. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week to hear about vein restoration. Listen to all our shows on yourradiodoctor.com. And if you'd like to partner in the show, contact Jacob Media at 267-261-3428. And always remember that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.